Nice and young Caporta. Thank you so, so much for making time to talk to me today. I am thrilled to see your book making waves that, that are really surprising in this world where this kind of message generally does not get out. And it's a great honor for me to be able to talk to you and, and to try to help build up greater awareness about how and why it is that we must learn from nature-based, community-based ways of being and thinking if, if we're going to survive. And what I also love about you is that you recognize that your great gift also comes from the fact that you've been inside this white fellow system and that you know both sides of, of what is actually a divide. And I think having been part of both of those worlds is what lends clarity. Mm. Well, I, I think um, more so, I, I should make it clear that I'm, I'm a very small butterfly flapping his wings over here, um, you know, which can do interesting things in chaos theory, I guess. But I'm, I'm very much on the outside of, of things. I'm not very much on the inside. So I'm quite marginal and I have quite low status in both of the worlds that you're referring to. Well, I think, I think that's the gift because it means that I'm not really uh, particularly anywhere, you know, as a, a central figure, I'm not at the center of anything. When you're at the center of something, it's hard to see it. That's but when, right. you're, when you're on the outer edge of a system or even of two systems, um, and just fighting for scraps for the table from the table, then um, you know there's some things that you notice. You That's know, right. Like that little kid at your um, at 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 the family feast, that little snotty kid standing off to the side that nobody's noticing because they've been drinking a bit too much. Um, he's going to notice some things. <laughs> yeah. Well. We need, I think we need to help people notice some major things. And, yeah. you know, one of those things has to do with how so much of what we hold on to as, as dear, as part of progress, and as essential structures, among other things, you know, um, is the nation state. And we need to realize that the nation state, which is a, a symbol of sort of solid progress and civilization mm. actually set up by the same racist colonizers that brought us slavery and, and a global market that laid behind so much of the destruction that we see today. And um, so what, what, what do you, how do you see a way forward in the situation we are now, particularly in terms of the nation state? Well, um, so you, you told me you've spoken, so you've spoken to people like, so you've spoken to Noam Chomsky, and it seems to me that you're more Chomsky than Chomsky is um, in a lot of ways. And Chomsky is not Chomsky enough for you. <laughs> but uh, so you've spoken to Chomsky and Russell Brand, I think. Yes, yes. And you yeah. hear, I often hear both of those people um, uh, talking about um, anarcho-syndicalism. 
which is a mouthful, you know, for most people. And, um, you know, I, I think, um, but I think you're taking that a, a step further to be something that's more embedded um, in, in the land. That's and right. in the natural law of the land, which is the thing that's missing, you know, because with anarcho-syndicalism, you know, like postmodernism, like post-structuralism, like deconstructivism, like modernism, like positivism, like all the isms, they, they abstract things floating in a void and they're separated from the landscape. Like our concept uh, in this contemporary blanket of the Anglosphere that's over the top of all of us, we have this separation of society and nature as if they're two separate things. You know, some people see them as a stack of almost membranes, you know, at least so they're parallel. But, you know, um, for a million years, human beings have been embedded in those landscapes and following the law of the land. And so each unique bioregion, each unique small bioregion, like a patchwork quilt across these continents, each unique bioregion is shaping the cultures, the governance, the economies, the language, the society, the ways of being and thinking and knowing of the people who live in that unique bioregion. And those bioregions have always been syndicated and interdependent. So you've got instead of these great nations that have emerged in the last century, that's a new idea. You know, we've always had these uh, regional groups that are interdependent and syndicated. And uh, I, there's been an experiment over the last 10,000 years of some of these um, annexing others and, you know, doing the imperialist thing. And uh, I think we've seen the limits of that experiment now. And uh, that's what civilization is, you know, starting out as city states and then gradually moving into greater and greater homogenization you know, uh, greater and greater monocultures, just trying to find that one grand narrative to rule them all, that one unified theory <laughs> that, uh, you know, that, that um, naive realists, holy grail of, of finding that one truth that everybody can come under and be governed by. You see, I think also that, you know, key there is to realize that civilization is the problem. Culture is the answer. And culture was a dialogue between human beings and the land and the, yeah. earth, the water, yeah. the trees. That dialogue and that deep embeddedness is what created that incredible diversity of culture. Yeah. And we are heading towards a, a path that is fundamentally dehumanizing as we move away from that embedded dialogue, that embedded web of constant interaction, which is what made us who we are. Mm. And as we move away from that, we, we yep. are becoming dehumanized. And well, look, even culture itself is, a, is this artificial and recent construct that's um, deliberate, quite deliberately separated something very important, you know, from the land. Yeah. So in inventing a separate word for culture, society... Yeah environment yeah. these things you you separate them and then you're able to separate from the mother and then destroy her you look at any of the older languages in the world any of the languages that aren't just uh, a big national trade creole 
which is most of these big national languages are just trade creoles. They're not really languages because they have no place. Yeah. You look at the older languages that are coming out of bioregions and you will not find a word for culture. Yeah. Or nature. You know, there's no word in, in my home language for culture. You can come to an approximate concept, you know, with an entire sentence. Yeah. But when you translate that sentence, it, it uh, basically comes out as meaning um, uh, being like your place. Ah, well, so that's, that's what you do. So when you refer to the way different yeah. people from different places yeah. are culturally different, yeah. you're referring to their place huh. and their ways of being in that place. But it's interesting that you say that about culture because we've, we have this international alliance for localization. And in that, we had this discussion between one of our American members and an Indian member. And from the Indian perspective, and even from mine, and, and sort of, well, I don't know whether modern Swedish is true, but I was thinking of culture as being a word covering those different ways of living, mm. not some song and dance and you know so that's we had this amazing miscommunication because yeah. from the american point of view culture was that stage theater and you know music and song yeah and well song. it's something but material we about a whole way of life and a whole world view and the difference yeah. between well as with everything the um the anglosphere's uh relation to culture is an extractive relation so of course they're going to focus on the material aspects that they can extract from the margins uh, because at the center there is no culture <laughs> well nothing worth seeing anyway because <laughs> the center you? doesn't uh, produce anything so they have to be constantly mining the margins for cultural uh you know um cultural ore that they can refine that they can value add to and um you know remove from its context so you know so from india they take meditative practices and then they turn it into a um a course on mindfulness you know which they yeah. then you know ship out to you know if you're <laughs> in your workplace if you're thinking about killing yourself and you say so to your manager your manager will send you a, a pdf document on mindfulness and say, yeah, yeah, just sit down and, you know, pay attention to your breath for a minute with no connection to place or a culture or a tradition yeah. or anything meaningful. Everything is sanitized, airbrushed, value added. It has its context removed from it and it gets dished up to us. And then, uh, you know, we consume that and find us still, still hungry, still wanting and ready to consume the next thing. And that's uh, that's where we are, and it's a placeless, it's a placeless place. Uh, so that's why that, that's the um, that's the meaning of the word utopia, by the way. Utopia, huh. means no place. Huh. So we're living in a utopia, and I look forward to a dystopia yeah. at least as a. And culture. a dystopia is local. Yeah. It's local, and it's and that's why, you know, it took me some years. I used to talk about decentralization and then I realized, yeah, when you have these centralized structures, we need to decentralize, but, but local is really is coming back to that home of being in place, being in that bioregion, mm. shaped by and belonging to, and, and 
absolutely a living part of that local bioregion. And I, you know, I believe that if we survive some of the disastrous um, changes that are being pushed on us now, that we will come back home eventually, at least some here. But I also believe that one of the reasons why people are hungry and will either turn a meditative practice into a commercial artifact or buy it, you know, is because they are hungrier and hungrier and more and more lost. Mm. And so for me, the biggest problem is really blindness. It's a, you know, that there has not been any kind of a map, any kind of a, a, a broader picture that could help people come back home. Mm. Um, what I do see, though, is I, I do see a type of intuitive homecoming that, for instance, you know, you have small children, and we were talking about, you know, what it's like to be in a flat with two small children. And for me, the biggest wealth of the traditional land-based way of life was that it was fundamentally community-based. It could never have been possible without that intergenerational, interconnected web of relationships, which mm. meant that every mother had a minimum of 10, 24 7 caretakers. And what the difference that made to who you became as a, as a human being. So that intergenerational, uh, connected way of, of being, you know, also meant that the every male, you know, already when you were five or six, you were carrying a little baby and as a father, as an uncle. And I see these sort of what I call ancient futures trends where we're trying to make our way back. And it really warms my heart now to see a lot of young men going around with babies on their chests. Mm. And um, it's a, it, they haven't clearly said, oh, we can really learn from indigenous culture. Mm. Um, but that's what's happening. Mm. I also, it's a little bit different, you know, in, in Ladakh where I was, they were living at 12,000 feet and it dropped to minus 40 in the winter. So they built these large houses, so sort of in some ways more separate from nature than your people and your tribes, but, but still the essence of who they were and what they were about, I think was... Um, pretty universal you know, they were, and the essence was that they depended on each other and on the plants and the animals and the soil mm -hmm. and the water around them but they had oh, they responded to the environment and yeah. uh, even the 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 seasonal differences there in the large houses that's not less yeah you it's know in the, southern, <laughs> in the southern parts of australia where where it's it gets quite cold yeah, you know the people here did build um, large permanent dwellings as well. So none none of those larger dwellings have survived. Is that right? Um, there are sites in Victoria where the foundations of those remain, oh. um, but they they were destroyed by settlers who were quite troubled uh, to find these sort of feats of engineering. <laughs> yeah. Lot of there are a lot of uh, early settler reports and explorer reports about these very large very uh, well-built stone houses um, in the south 
and they were they were all eradicated because it um it went against that kind of idea of you know uh oh. there's nobody here except yeah. wandering yeah. nomads who are just moving through yeah. who are just like animals that we can hunt land terra nullius yeah. etc look um it's interesting you were talking about you know this kind of a need for a return almost yeah you know and then you were talking about men with babies yeah. and i sort of see some of that the problematics of a return of non-aboriginal people you know to be coming back into the land and coming under aboriginal law and yeah. um um you, you can see this with with men sort of coming in and trying to find a, a return to their traditional nurturing roles as part of the community rather than these um bloodless terrifying rogues running lone, lone wolf throughout the society just destroying everything and uh killing the land um so i mean yeah it, it's problematic you know so i i um i noticed that this this society is a lot more um accommodating of me as a father than it is of women as mothers so i'm i'm living in a city and in a civilization at the moment that is hostile to women and mothers very hostile and there's a bit of a double standard because if i push my pram down the street with the babies um you know i universally everybody's responses are oh, isn't that lovely you know but my woman does the same thing and at least once a week she's accosted down the street uh by someone shouting at her and criticizing her as a mother um and oh. telling her to do it differently she's not welcome in a lot of the spaces where people will look at me fondly and smile and tell me how lovely it is that i'm looking after the babies um even at work so i used to take uh so my daughter who's uh, three now when she was a, a small baby i used to take her into work with me to university you know um and you know so that i was t trying to match you know some kind of 50 50 role in the raising of this child i'd take her into work with me and i would deliver lecture lectures you know uh while i was holding this baby or feeding this baby and the response universally was oh that is so adorable that's so amazing but um i was sitting in another lecture where a woman did the same thing and it was a hostile reaction you know there were people in the row behind me whispering you know that's so unprofessional is she married is she even married i don't think she's even married slut kind of thing like you know people were saying horrible things about it so you know um it's funny so men get to just sort of charge into this women's space and have a return to a nurturing role uh but in still enjoying a, a, a this position of privilege and not really understanding what that role entails and not really understanding that that nurturing role and sort of coming out on top as this kind of winner and this boss anyway and we see the same thing when uh, non-indigenous people are brought into our communities it's um they are infected with these narratives of things like you know and they made me their chief and so they they always seek higher and higher power relations and sort of see themselves 
in this messianic role, you yeah. know, of saving the savages and things like that. Yeah. And it, it becomes problematic. Um, not always, you know, oh. and th this is an important thing that we need to resolve because if we don't, if we do not bring non-Indigenous people back under the law of the land, then everything and everybody is going to die. So we yeah. need to figure out a way of return. Yeah. Before that happens, there needs to be some kind of reconciliation and understanding. And this is not a process that can be facilitated by a government. No, that's yeah, right. There are lots of policies for reconciliation in Canada and Australia and yeah. all around the planet. And these are, um, these are ineffective, yeah. top-down measures. Yeah. This needs to be a grassroots movement <laughs> of people who want to have a renaissance, yeah. a return, yeah. you know, and, uh, and we need to be able to bring all of our own people home first because we have lots of lost people. Yeah. I wouldn't say bring them home first. In other words, you know, to bring all of them home. I'm, I sort of see a potential for that grassroots um, homecoming, which I do see going on in many different ways. And, mm. and you know, to come back to what you said about, the treatment of mothers, you know, bringing their children in. It, it again, you know, we, we know that this system that we're swimming in, in other words, this enormous techno-economic system called progress, called civilization, called all kinds of nice things, is enveloping the entire planet. And so for me, the big picture is very much about us stepping back to understand that that as a system with its 500 year history and actually a bit longer, but it's particularly clearly in the last 500 years and then huge leaps, you know, with fossil fuels. And then in the last 30 years, 35, 40 years, this new neo-colonialism in the name of globalization has taken another huge leap in this wrong direction. So that is enormous system that develops us from the beginning that economic system was misogynist and racist and anti-nature. You know, it was about torturing mm. nature and the building up to it was burning all these women at the stake who had deep mm. knowledge about nature. Mm. And so I think it's very important for us to understand that, to try then to come together, um, you know, from different cultural and racial and gender backgrounds to see we're all uh, in this together. We've all to some extent been victims and, and we are certainly going to be victims if we allow that monstrous system which started out with such overt anti-nature, racist and misogynist sentiments to continue. But to see the contours of it and to have clarity about why we shouldn't, for instance, be supporting 5G, why we have to be so wary of the sort of new Green Deal that comes from the top down, why we've got to be aware that virtually any idea that gets out widely, immediately you have to be suspicious. Mm. It's a well-funded idea that flies happily within the escalation of the struggle. Mm. It's, a, it's not threatening it. Well, the, look, we no, we know in, in medicine, in all, all medicinal traditions, even the modern ones, yeah. that if you treat the symptom, that's not a cure. No. 
that you have to treat the cause. Yeah. So, you know, um, even, you know, things like anti-racism, yeah. the right things to do and good things to do. However, it is just treating a symptom, yeah. you know, because if you look, if you look beyond, you know, the scab and the pus of that wound, yeah. um, if you look beyond that to what's causing it, then you're, you're seeing deeper layers of a caste system that's beyond that, yeah. that an ideology of race has arisen from as a symptom or yeah. as, you know, almost a camouflage for a caste system that is necessary for a growth-based economic system yeah. that depends on inequality in order to maintain its growth. Yeah. Because that demand must exceed supply or growth can't happen. So, you know, these are things that you need to look at. If you want to, if you want to end racism, you really do need to end growth. Yeah as a paradigm yeah. you need to move away from this gdp focus and i notice you've you've talked to um vandana shiva as well i've worked with her for 30 years yeah, oh my god way. you know if i ever got to meet her i would just <laughs> lose my mind okay. <laughs> you know i'm 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 very you know when i meet oh. you know uh famous people or like uh great thinkers or anything yeah. I'm, I'm i'm um i'm never intimidated or you know i i never get all like oh my goodness yeah, uh, good. But I would, I would fangirl, I would fangirl over Vandana Shiva if I ever met her. Oh, that's so nice to hear. She's somebody who's who's shaped my thinking for a couple of decades. Really, her oh. work on uh, monocultures and oh. you know, IPRs and biopiracy, and uh, with the seeds and everything there. I tell you, um, oh. you know, for an astrophysicist to go, was she an astrophysicist? Um, yeah, she was. I, I don't know. Yeah, quantum physicist. I can't remember. Quantum physicist. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking in the wrong place. I'm going to focus on these. I'm going yeah. to defeat these monocultures of the mind. Yeah. First. The whole idea of post colonialism, it's a bit of an illusion and a bit of a myth. And I guess if you look at India and Zimbabwe and Mozambique and South Africa and all these places that are supposedly decolonized, I mean, yeah. Exactly. You, know, you no. might have removed the 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 alien state of authority, yeah. but you did not remove the um the alien corporate power. Oh. You know, these always remain, and, and the pattern is replicated, and you know um on it goes. Accelerated and increased. Oh, yeah, and because oh my God, we must develop. Yeah. We must develop. It's 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 no good for. I mean, these are poor people who are, you know, who've been living on the same piece of land in abundance, you know, drawing water for this, from the same well yeah. for millennia and so many, you know, hundreds of generations. Oh, my goodness, we must rise them up out of this po poverty. We must frack that underground water and poison that, wells, that well so that they can have an education and that they can become neoliberal subjects and like improve their lives how the hell is that improving anybody's life it's you know, so much music to my ears to talk yeah to i, I mean really... people to to be able to enjoy that lifestyle now that those supposedly impoverished people you know have enjoyed forever to be able to enjoy that now you need to be a multi-millionaire yeah you know to be able to purchase title to that yeah. land you know, so, as capital and have access to a land base and to be able to live. That's actually how rich people live. They have these estates and you have to be rich in order yeah. to return to this yeah. 
supposedly third or fourth world subsistence. Yeah. Which this is, is so degrading of... and brutish and primitive. Yeah. And oh, we've got to develop beyond it. Ah, I'm so sick of that. So much of what's described as tradition was actually, you know, people struggling under the enormous changes wrought by colonialism and slavery. Mm. And so, you know, and that then it gets dismissed as, you know, so brutal and mm. primitive and backward. And people haven't seen what happens when you come in and suddenly forge this centralized structure and suddenly people are dependent from above for, you know, crumbs and bits of money and no longer allowed to have access to their knowledge mm. or to their skills. Mm. To not only be more, you know, it's not more self-reliant. I like to use the term community-reliant because mm. they depended on each other and they had this wonderful ratio of humans to land, humans mm. to building a house, you know, even a huge building with heavy stone and everything. You stood, you know, like a few inches apart and you were just passing along this heavy object and literally singing as they did it. Mm. And I've come to realize, so I think, you know, the, the glimpse that I caught of that reality, which, you know, what's pure, you know, things have always been changing. Of course, you know, as people evolve, mm. but what is absolutely different from that change in the modern era is the, the top-down pressure and the pressures towards monoculture. Mm. So those centralized structures imposed from above are mm. deadly. By definition, monoculture is deadly. Diversity mm. is a fundamental principle of life. And mm. But um, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it's just like music yeah. to my ears that well, you're also able to speak about education in that way. And, mm. and we have to be so kind to all the wonderful people who genuinely want to help and who really yeah. believe these poor people need mm. to be educated. You know, well, and, and we need yeah. to you know, start to think of this in terms of a, a right of return. Yeah. You know, um, which, you know, to me, you can forget about all of the other human rights, yeah. about what a society yeah. or a yeah. government or an economic Absolutely. system must provide for you. Yeah. These are the things that land provides for yeah. us for free. Yes. yes. So all you need to do is remove the concept of land as capital that yeah. can be leveraged for debt. Yeah. If you remove that and uh, then you will see a, a right of return happening. Yeah. And you yeah. don't need any other human rights then because the land gives you, yeah. you know, your, your minimal requirements Absolutely. for food, for shelter, yeah. for, you know, community, um, for learning, for, yeah. and most importantly, for meaning making. Yeah. You know, and this is where I see in Vandana's work, I see very strongly that indigenous lens. Yeah. You know, yeah. He has, has reconnected so strongly. Yeah. You know, and with the land, collectives, yeah. collectives yeah. of women working with indigenous seeds and keeping yeah. the seeds yeah. and listening to the land and coming under the law of the land. Yes. You know, yes. And so now suddenly she turns that lens outwards and she sees the things like, um, you know, asset management funds and goes, boom, there, that's where the power is. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody's looking that? at these billionaires, but yeah. billionaires are dying out. Yeah. And they they got to go cap in hand to those asset management funds. Somebody needs to be looking at 
you know, BlackRock and all them ones. I took the initiative to this forum on globalization that London was also a part of until I realized that the majority of them just, they didn't understand about localizing. So they were only critiquing the escalation, whereas I was trying at the same time, mainly by focusing on building up local food economies. Mm. That's where I have found, um, um, what's it called? I've found a sort of entry point, which I do... I do want to share with you, I think it's extremely important as a way of getting leverage more rapidly. Uh, so even when you can help city dwellers reconnect with farmers in the region, you're starting to cre begin to create a co cooperation that can withstand the pressures of the dominant system. And so now I feel if you know this escalation is going to continue, I feel so happy that I've helped to Get lots of farmers markets started, lots of you know community gardens, community supported agriculture, and in that way, David Holmgren, you know, the permaculture movement, is doing very good work. I think trying to get that basic self reliance, and I also think that if some of the middle class um, people start doing that, at least they're getting off the back of other people. Mm. But you see, in the meanwhile, corporate-funded think tanks keep shouting, this is elitist, this is elitist. You know, if you care about feeding the world, you need to be feeding the profits of Monsanto and Walmart. Mm. And people buy into it because in this system where subsidies, taxes, and regulations favor the monopolies, the global monopolies, and squeeze and destroy the place-based counterparts. You know, the economic realities are that a toxic mm. chemical processed carrot from the other side of the world will cost less than a fresh chemical-free carrot from a mile away. And mm. I ended up, you know, by seeing this in Ladakh in, um, already in the 70s, suddenly butter was coming in, having trans been transported over the Himalayas for two weeks, Mm. selling for half the price of local butter. Mm. And butter they had, you know, was one of their... Yeah, you know, and they're only able to do that because they subsidize it. And that includes... The, you know, so that lobby, that lobby yeah. would get the government to give yeah. that, you know, to subsidize it but, so they could run it will last for long enough to destroy the local producer, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But I mean, Adi Vandana's like uh, quite, quite critique of that is... Is, is far better than mine. So I think I'd just refer people to that. <laughs> <laughs> Although that particular yeah. aspect of it, she hasn't addressed as much no, as I have, and as I think she is doing more yeah. now. Because what happened there, you know, as I, as I saw that happening and realized and witnessed, I hope you read my book, Ancient Futures, because there I also describe how it is that mud, which was available in absolutely unending quantities. It became too expensive to build your house out of mud. So the process of this subsidy, you know, it has to do with education, it has to do with urbanization. So schooling and urbanization are fundamental. And oh, then yes. suddenly you're there and you don't have access to the land, you don't have the skills, and mm -hmm. above all, you don't have the time. So this whole system puts a dollar sign on every mm -hmm. minute. And this is one of the biggest subsidies 
to destruction and energy intensive toxic production in every element. I and you also no longer have the cognitive capacity to be able to see that. Yeah, well, Ed education is quite designed to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I have quite a strong suspicion that the nucleus basalis that they say naturally just dies off yeah. the brain around the age of eight. Um, yeah. I don't think you're supposed to lose that at the age of eight. No. I think that's a, um, that's, that's, that's weaponized boredom in education that's, uh, that lobotomizes it out of you. By the way, have you heard of Ian McGilchrist? Not at all. Oh, you'd be interested. Because mm. he's, a, he's a, a Brit and was a don at Oxford. And he, uh, he was first an English whatever. He became a psychiatrist and then became very interested in the brain. And he's written a book called The Master and His Emissary. And he's basically a great pal of mine. He's become very worried about how our brain is changing through modernity. Mm. And what he discovered is that the right part of the brain not only sees the bigger picture, but also the nuances. Whereas the left side of the brain is like a map, you know, mm. and it's for action. And mm. the and he and this we're seeing this our brain is getting imbalanced, you know, yeah. as you said. And well, um, I, I um and, and the tech is bad too. I got my first mobile phone yeah. four four years ago. Really? And, and I, I, I look at what I could do and how I could think four years ago. Yeah. And then I look at my capacity now, my cognitive capacity, and it's at about 50%. Really? I, I've, I've been lobotomized by these machines. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of wish that I'd, I'd resisted a bit longer. But it was just because I moved to a city for the first yeah. time. Yeah. And you can't actually live in the city without a phone. Oh. No. You can't access anything. You have to have apps for everything. In I can't, Sweden, in Sweden, I can't have a job. I, yeah, I, you, you have to have an app that where yeah. your employer can track you yeah. through your phone yeah. uh, just to be able to log on to your computer at work. Yeah. And know, look, you know, in Sweden, thing. they already, years ago, you couldn't get on a bus if you didn't have a mobile phone. Mm. And it drives me mad that people think, well, oh, it's a choice. It's yeah, not it's a not a choice. It's a systemic imposition. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and of course, now with COVID, we're talking mm. about even more frightening, mm. totalitarian. I, I just, I, it's just, it's, it's, and it's not a choice now whether or not you're going to belong to a smart city. No. Or come under a smart city. No. Because they did roll out the Internet of Things this year. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, Look, it's um, so we're talking about uh, uh, 40 billion devices, and each one of those contains rare earth metals, which you know it's the most toxic radioactive refining process known to man, produces heaps of new um, radioactive waste that needs to be stored for thousands of years. I don't see any sustainable plan to be able to store that safely without eradicating all life within a few centuries. But anyway, yeah, we're going to do 40 billion of those. Uh, and they have that obsolescence built into them. So every two or three years, they all need to be replaced. And the projection was that the amount of devices would increase globally uh, by 4,000% every year. This is, and, you know, um, there was no question when they were asking 
for submissions as to whether we should do this or whether we should make provisions for people who do not want to come under this. Um, it was just what they were seeking and particularly from the indigenous submissions, and this is why they asked me, they were looking for uh, answers to how they could ensure indigenous compliance. And so much of the left hasn't realized that they've ended up by well, essentially a lot of corporate myths. And the left are progressives, so they're committed yeah, to exactly, progress. Exactly. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's and, just, and, you uh, know, and, the, Sorry, and the, it's just yeah. airbrushing progress to yeah. to yeah. make it seem a bit more fair and a bit yeah. less destructive. Yeah. But yeah. that's just branding. Yeah. It's just branding, yeah. and you know, it, and and even the best of them are acting under the illusion, the illusion that you can make this system more fair and still have yeah. gr endless growth yeah. from from finite resources. Yeah. And I keep telling them, and this is the metaphor that I use, you cannot make a dog a vegan. <laughs> he will die or he will eat you. And that's the only things that are going to happen there. You know, you can't make a dog a vegan and you can't make this a growth-based economic system fair. Yeah. It depends on inequality and it depends on destruction of the mother. And I mean the human mother, but, you know, non-human yeah. mothers and... But most importantly, capital M, big M mother would be the land. You yeah. know, it depends on the destruction of the mother but in you order know, to grow. But what's so interesting to me is that the, I think the founder of the degrowth movement is a friend of mine, someone named Serge Latouche, he's French, mm -hmm. he's about my age. And he, and I think, you know, his questioning of growth came from having actually been in, um, uh, both in Africa and in Laos, sort of pretty untouched parts of those, you know, back in the 60s. And that allowed him to experience something that was relatively healthy and whole and functioning, and then to question this development paradigm. But, so he, and he's in that program that we have on our website, the World Localization Day. Mm. But so many of now, you know, what is the degrowth movement? From my point of view, again, a lot of them have taken on a sort of left perspective. Mm. So, so many of them are not, they're not speaking the bigger picture that we're doing. Mm. And I hope, I do see a change. I definitely see a change. Mm. What, what I need to say here is that if you define yourself or your movement yeah. or your, your paradigm, if you're defining it in opposition yeah. to another paradigm, yeah. Then all you you can only replicate that. Yeah. You know, uh, at best, you will be a pseudoscience, and that's all you can be. Yeah. You know, if you're defining yourself as in opposition to something else, then you come into symbiotic relation. You start off in parasitic relation, and that becomes a symbiosis whereby you feed each other. So, in order to call yourself, uh, if you call yourself degrowth or something else, you're really just going to support. Uh, you know, growth-based economic system. Yeah. See, it's interesting what you've done with your, with your thing is yeah. that you haven't named it anti-globalism no. or no. anything like that. No. You've named it local futures. Yeah. So you've called it what it is. Yeah. You haven't put in the title what it isn't, which is yeah. like a little curse. Yeah. It's a little curse where you're singing yourself into destruction right from the start. Yeah. Which, is, which I find really, really exciting. Oh, great. Um, 
So for us, I can't, I can't be talking about degrowth or anti-growth. I just have to talk about what the um, equivalent indigenous paradigm is, yeah. uh, which is increase, yeah. which is very different from growth. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, but people can get behind it because they go, oh, increase sounds good. Yeah. So you're not increasing the size of the system. Yeah. But with increased ceremony, um, yeah. you're in, increasing the relationships within the system and all yeah. of the infinite combinatorials that you can yeah. find within those yeah. and the quality of the information and knowledge that sits yeah. in relation between all the different points within that system. That's yeah. what increase is. It's, it's like growth into the micro instead of growth into the macro. Yes. And then, and then the idea is the idea of some kind of replication and not replication, you know, uh, identical, but the idea that again, if oh. this can be replicated and each and every time it's unique, each and every moment is unique, each and if every it's right, is unique, you know? If it's right, it will, you will, you will get emergence. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, if it's right and yeah. you're doing it, you know, within yeah. complexity, yeah. Yeah. and responsive within a system as part of that system, yeah. then you will get emergence. Yeah. And this is what I would run. love you to look more at the, at, but you see, you have to sort of look at it on the ground, but that's what I'm finding with the local food movement. Mm. It's been remarkable. I mean, you know, like here when I started talking local food in Bay, you know, as everywhere, a lot of resistance. No, no, people want their strawberries in winter or whatever. The farmers weren't interested, even though they were going bankrupt. And, you know, there were shops who were against it. The local government didn't help. So everywhere in the world, when I first started promoting that, which was really 40 years ago, there was resistance. But, and, and the resistance in terms of, the subsidies and the power and the money that's going in the other direction has increased geometrically. But still, I can point to you, point out to you just this amazing proliferation of local food initiatives. You know, inside constant propaganda, constant pressure in the opposite direction. So I do see emergence there, but it's nothing like enough, you know, I, I just feel for me, you know, if we can get the word out, so war can happen. And I would say, you know, I used to say to my team, if they invited me to speak on Fox television, I would. You know, I'm not sure, but I'm saying, well, I think my understanding is that if it's possible to get a bit of a holistic a message out there that could be beneficial. I'm very willing to compromise in terms yeah. of the vehicle. And you're I not going to do that. Thing. You're not going to do that in a two-minute soundbite on 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 Fox News. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. See, when uh, Harper One uh, Publishing took took uh, started distributing my book in the United States, you know, their marketing department was in touch. All right, uh, we're going to get you on. Uh, 60 minutes and the Trevor Noah show, we're going to get you on. And I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not doing TV. And there was this just long silence. And then they went, but everybody wants to be on TV. I'm like, I don't want to be on TV. Really? Yeah. That's uh no, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling just, uh, just with trying to meet the obligations to my, all of my relationships, just with having a book out there. And um, yeah. I'm doing, I, I mean, I'm doing podcasts because I feel like, um, you know, podcast is the new campfire for people in a bit of yeah, a maybe. culture of transition towards some kind of meaning, you know, yeah. so I'm doing, I'm doing those and, and that's all I'm doing. 
for me, I think our work should be about building up the numbers of people who have a deeper, broader perspective. I call it big picture activism. And I do believe, I definitely believe that the, the local food movement is at the heart of it. That's it. It has yeah. to be demotic. It has to be grassroots and organic. Yeah. As soon as you attempt to brand something, make yeah. it a thing. Yeah. Branding and PR is the yeah. death of everything. Yeah. Yeah. You might as well put up a big sign saying, this is our neoliberal bloody establishment yeah. here. Because that's all, that's all it can be. And this is really important, though. Even all your resistance movements and alternative movements and uh, countercultures, Every counterculture is immediately absorbed and marketed and, you know, and, yeah. and just um, interact with that in the most shallow ways. And Byron Bay is one of the worst places for it, as you know. You know, everybody's running around with crystals and etc. The last time I was in Byron Bay, I got sucked into doing some workshop and they took everybody up to the cemetery and they said, uh, now you need to project, project your aware, choose a grave and project your awareness down into the coffin and experience death. And I'm like, hey, I'm out of here. I'm gone. That's black magic. I'm not doing that. I'm finished. <laughs> yeah, there is, um, there is so much just wrong way, wrong story, that they don't even realize that what they're doing, you know, is the project of Westernism and extractivism. Yeah. And they, they're getting their dream catches. And every yeah. second idiot in Byron Bay wants to wave a feather fan at you. And I'm like, get them feathers away from me. You don't know where they're from. I know that feather. That's an owl feather. You get that away from me. You're trying to curse me or something. Cover up that belly button. I don't need to see that big infected oozing bloody navel ring you got last week. <laughs> you know, get that smudging stick and take it somewhere else. I can't stand the smell of that. You don't know how to smoke something. Don't tell me you can see my aura. You can't see my aura. You can't see anything. Get away from me. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, I feel you're being a bit all, all I see is, is yeah. you know, whenever people are open to any kind of change, they just get sucked in because as neoliberal subjects, we're all, this is the culture now. We all are expected to be these little corporations unto ourselves yeah. and to, um, you know, lean into this branding and this selection of all these little intersectionalities and identities that just yeah. become part of our Facebook yeah. wall. And yeah. we're supposed to project that out and leverage some kind of social capital out of it. Yeah. And then with that capital, we're supposed to uh, gamble on the marketplace of our futures. Yeah. You know, we have to become speculators, you know, for what kind of, what kind of, you know, um, roles we can leverage into the future, and and yeah. and it's 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 death, yeah. it's fractal entropy, yeah, no. over and over into yeah. death. It's it's, yeah. it's this Luciferian marketplace lie, and we've all been sucked into it, yeah. and no, I'm completely no. sick of it. So I resist that so strongly. So I think I feel more sorry for these people than you do. I really feel I feel I do feel that the average Western urban, uh, you know, person who's grown up in that reality, to me, are the poorest of the poor. Mm. And, and, and really deeply, I feel that. But you see, I had the privilege of living in a way where I had, everything was in walking distance. I, I lived for half the year in 
really what was a paradise. And I go back and experience, you know, the city and the speed and the fear and the, and the showing off and the egos and the conversations. They were all about showing off because people mm. were so insecure. I love those people, you know, same I love anyone else. And I will sit down yeah. with anybody and listen yeah. to their story yeah. and, and respect their story. Even though Yeah, particularly, but what I do not like is the the supply chains and the um the economic system yeah. that has um delivered her into this yeah. uh exactly. This, exactly this neoliberal subject status exactly. that she's occupying without even knowing it. Yeah. You know, she thinks she's yeah. in a counterculture. Yeah. And and that yeah. makes me terribly sad. But yeah. when you sit down and you draw out the higher knowledge of that person and their yeah. best story, yeah. every person has exactly. a story, a strong story. Yeah. Everybody yeah. carries those fragments within themselves yeah. of what it is to be human. Yes, exactly. So I love drawing out those yes. patterns from yes. them. And it's in everybody. Yes. I talk to everybody. I, I Man, I, I've spent, I, I talk to white supremacists. I talk to, um, I talk to, you know, uh, extreme right libertarians. Oh. I, I talk to people who are in the NRA. I talk to um, corporate. How do you get a How do you get a chance to talk to them? I keep telling my team that we want to try to ah, reach them, but I don't bloody, know. It's this bloody book, you know, because it was it's so full. open and it was inviting all narratives to come and sit alongside. That everybody from left and right loves it. And uh, so I keep getting these, um, I get from really? around the world, I get messages every day. So I, I yarn with these people. Really? You know, and, and, you know, you can have like really weird sort of, you know, <laughs> extreme pro-choice, like terrorists, you know, and, um, and, and, and find their story, their beautiful story. Yeah. Of, you know, because everybody has those fragments of yeah, humanity. I and, agree. And everybody's ideology is wrong because an ideology yeah. can't be right. Yeah, that's right. As soon as that's knowledge right. becomes an ideology, it's, right. ripped, it's gone. Yeah. But down beneath that is the human being and you yeah. always find that. Yeah. It's very important to find yeah. that. Yeah. And see, also for me as a linguist, because I did learn to speak about eight languages, but I also see that, you know, language is already this grid overflow. So the minute we use a word, even an indigenous word, we're already trying to hold still this flow mm -hmm. of yeah. relationships. Yeah. And this is also why, again, for me, local mm -hmm. is about forcing us to be mm. more aware of the impact we have on mm. nature and people. Well, and you, have to, you have to live in. the feedback. If you're embedded within that, then you're embedded in a system yeah. of flows. Yeah. And so you can't do knowledge no. capture anymore. No. And that's, that's what it is. Knowledge, ca knowledge capture is the driver of the global economy. Yeah. You know? And it's all about this, this quest of the Anglosphere to, to find that unified theory, that it's unified narrative. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, you know, because even their word for universe, as you know, means uh, changed into one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. verse from vertere, you know, to become yeah. and uni meaning yeah. one. It's it's yeah. like, uh, you know, becoming one. And that's their, um, that's that cultural curse, yeah. that um, that that just big mistake of making the snake of <laughs> eat its tail. Yeah. You know, this it, idea it, of linear time, infinite yeah. growth, closed systems. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all entropic, 
and it's only going one way. My motivation is therefore to do anything I can to try to get out a message that could lead to more people say, please push the pause button. What is it that's driving up this fragmentation? What is it? Climate change, you know, I mean, this is just have to talk to the head of Greenpeace here in England, in America, and tell them every day fish is flown from Norway to China to be deborn from back again, uh, from Tasmania to China back again. Uh, <clears throat> macadamia nuts flown to China to be cracked up and flown back again. Yep. Countries are importing and exporting the same food. Why is Greenpeace not mentioning this? And then instead they point the finger to the individual and say, you shitty human being, we human beings, we're like, you know, we're a cancer on the earth. We should, you know, we deserve to yeah. do it. It's not but us it's doing it. Mad. I want to get out a different picture. Yeah. So we see where we could stop, where we could yeah. push the pause button. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we put a nuclear bomb under Walmart or the WTO. It just means, say we're not doing this. This is, you know, now we have new rules. It's pretty simple. And yep. you can start a process of slowing down and reducing the escalation if simultaneously you relieve human, human beings from the yoke of being slaves to energy and technology so that in every marketplace, doing it by hand would be cheaper and employ more people provide cheaper products and be creating more enjoyable work, suddenly we'd have a very different economy. But right now we're running like idiots, all of us, competing yep. with machines. Yep. Then you have these well-intentioned people, you know, who think that, oh yeah, we're going to have a new internet currency, you know, and it's going to be all. <laughs> and I can't believe you know, they actually, yeah. they the talk about it as being accountable. Yeah. I don't know what's happened to them. Mm. They have no idea, you know, we found out later about Bitcoin, about the mining and the water. Mm. But, you know, I knew from the get-go and yeah. tried to warn. So I, I, I always feel like I was born into an apocalypse. I was born at the moment of an apocalypse. And, um, you know, but at the same time, I'm very aware with my sense of deep time that I get from my community, my culture, that um, many apocalypses have happened before and many more will. And, um, you know, if you are embedded in the landscape and moving with the land, then when things move, you, you will be able to adapt and you will be able to thrive. And so I, th there is people find a message of hope in that. I yeah. think, you know, I, want and I do have, I, I don't, I, people are still hanging on to hopes that they'll be able to keep the civilization. They will not be able to keep the civilization. The civilization is dying and it must die. And I guess the only question is, is whether it's going to take every single living organism on the planet with it when it goes. Yeah. yeah. No? Um, and and that's, that's really the only question at this stage. But you know what? We're very, very overdue from the periodic massive electromagnetic pulses that come from the sun. We're, I think we're about 200 years overdue for one, a, a very big one. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward any minute now. I'm very much looking forward to that uh, <laughs> coming through. And, you know, because you're basically looking at every chip on the planet being fried instantaneously. And really? then, um, 
you know, is that, is because that power, power doesn't, you know, globalizing power, that's not going to give up. You know, that's, um, that's, it's, there's no fight that we can have with that, that they won't win. We're not going to return to local futures. Uh, we're not going to experience a return until that's done. And um, it, it has to be done. Either it's got to can finish eating itself or it needs a massive big nudge, nudge from the cosmos. And so I'm very much looking forward to that electromagnetic pulse. You know, these civilizations do not work. And this global civilization is just um, the most fractally obscene permutation of civilization to occur so far in the history of probably the cosmos. Um, and it, it will eat everything, all of us alive, unless we can bring people home. We yeah. need, and I, I firmly believe that indigenous people around the world need to unite around that common goal. Exactly. We're the only people who can save the world because we're the people who, we're the only people who are capable of bringing everybody home to the land again, yeah. to rediscover the law of the land and to live under that law once again. What gives me hope is not only what the solar, you know, what the cosmos might provide in terms of ending this so-called civilization, but it's also a pattern of rewilding, of taking children out into the wild. And yes, in this economic system, it's considered elitist, but it, there's a deep longing to return home to, that, yes. to the wild, to the land, to the life in us mm. and the life around us. And yep. people are beginning to come out of that prison. Mm. So I do see this uh, amazing grassroots awakening in many different forms. You know, virtually every single discipline, you know, medicine, agriculture, but you know, they'll have the word alternative or eco put in front mm. of them. You know, mm. eco-theology, eco-literacy, eco-villages alternative medicine, all of these represent people who've had the courage to go against the tide. And the tide has been incredibly powerful. You know, you are marginalized, you are mocked, you are, you know, ostracized, and the pressure has been intense. And despite that, mm -hmm. it's happening. So I think if that attempt to find that better balance can be coupled with a more holistic framework um, that the indigenous perspective provides. I mm. think, you know, we could help accelerate mm. and, and help congeal that. Look, your local futures have the potential to solve a lot of much bigger problems, you know, that seem impossible. So, yeah. you know, you can pick any of them, any of the planet killing problems in the world, even, you know, something, something as seemingly intractable as, you know, well, Pakistan's, Pakistan's got no water and nuclear weapons. <laughs> That's a problem, you know, uh, and you think, well, you need to solve that at the bigger level. You need global governance to solve a problem like that. Well, potentially local governance could solve that because if you did have people living locally within their bioregions, then there, there would be enough water to go around within those if you didn't have these massive industries that were so water hungry. And, and just, I mean, 90% of our water usage is for big industry. 
and these ridiculous supply chains and all the ridiculous manufacturing and everything that goes on. Uh, there's so much wastage. You know, our shorter showers is not going to solve that because okay. as human beings, actual anthros, we only use 10% of that water. Yeah. Local, local futures, local solutions there. Yeah. yeah that could potentially resolve that uh, crisis. Yeah. Um, so, and eventually, uh, if you've got a, a bunch of it, you end up with a whole heap of sort of syndicated bioregions. It's like, well, who's going to hold these nukes? And actually, who would we use them against if we're in, interdependent with, all right, let's get rid of those nukes. Actually, now we've got to solve the problem of how are we going to safely store that for the next 10,000 years? Um, yeah, let's figure out a plan for that. Actually, let's figure out a plan for all of the nuclear waste that we already have, uh, which in the next 50 years is going to start leaking out of those barrels and through the cracks in the concrete bunkers where we're storing them. How are we going to manage that for the next few thousand years? Do we have a plan for that? Uh, <laughs> you know, these are things that we can resolve together and you can only find um, the complex emergence that's necessary to find those big solutions to complex problems. You can only find that in the aggregate of narratives. Yeah. In the aggregate of knowledges, uh, even conflicting knowledges. They have to come yeah. alongside and sit together uh, because that's the only way you can find um, actual applicable solutions. And you know, it doesn't have to be regarded as an elite privilege thing or an elitist thing to do that i mean if you happen to be in an elite caste and you have the the capital to be able to reclaim land and return to it then i think if if you begin uh instead of just creating your own eco bubbles there um to to camp on for a while you know until all of the everything collapses and all the bandits come and kill you um instead of that you know, if you start uh, using that capital to return people from lower castes uh, exactly. to the land and then exactly. ask, um, can I stay here with you, please? <laughs> that yeah. Uh, yeah. that could be interesting. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, you know, also, I love these models in the local food movement where in some of the community-supported agriculture schemes, people who can afford it are paying a bit extra so that people who can't afford so much are paying mm. less. Mm. And meanwhile, you know, anybody who grows food and tries to deliver it into this mm. marketplace yep. is struggling because, you know, yep. the way we've been imprisoned to compete yeah. with and, and we need we need to come together because, you know, once you once you enter a, a, an elite caste, you, you tend to lose the capacity for violence. Um, uh, those of us who are in the lower castes uh, of things, uh, we've still re retained some capacity for violence and some some skill at, at that sort of thing. Um, so we're handy people to have around your, <laughs> your eco village, you know, for for um, you know when the civilization collapses and all the bandits come, you'll be really happy to have us around. Uh, <laughs> we'll sort out the bandits for you and. Um, <laughs> Well, it's yeah. funny. I mean, I've, I've been looking into, um, you know, apocalypses um, all over the place, the most recent ones. So, you know, in the Balkan sort of countries and in uh, Argentina, for example. Yeah. And one, one thing in common is that your, uh, your rural preppers are always the first to die. Um, <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, and that the, the, the poor people in cities are, uh, tend to do very well. Huh. Uh, huh. The urban poor 
tend to be the survivors of these things. Really? Uh, yeah, but people who have estates and they have their orchards and they have their flocks and uh, yeah. everything, they tend to be the first to go because you tend to get uh, gangs roving the landscape and oh. marauding like locusts. Yeah, but can I can I ask you who are your who's your gang your your gang that you can talk to these issues you know about and who who else do you look up to besides Vandana? My group is 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 um, you know, very various collections of unknown people who yeah. are keeping keeping but, the law who are keeping the law of the land. Yeah, but do you have? There are groups, yeah, there are groups of people, you know, all around Australia um, um, that, I mean, until lockdown at least, that, you know, I, I, I would meet with for ceremony and doing various things. Um, you know, people, people who understand what's going on and understand what's needed. And uh, most of those people are committed to the idea of uh, bringing non-Aboriginal people back into the land. And to me, that 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 is the only thing that would save this world. And, um, so to me, that's that's something that I get behind. And but also personally for myself, uh, for my brand of activism, I'm there aren't many people doing this, so it's hard to have a group around it. But I, I believe our efforts need to be not towards changing the present or the yeah. near near term future. Uh, what we need to be doing is leaving leaving the tools behind that the next people are going to need uh, on their thousand year cleanup after we're done here. Um, so for me, that the only tools that could last and that, that would be of any utility to them are cognitive tools and yeah. narr narrative tools. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we need to make sure that there are challenges to the grand narratives that yeah. are things here exactly. the narratives for example of primitivism and progress and yeah. stuff like that exactly. those need to be undone because yeah. that's a bad story yeah. story, story can heal or story can kill wrong story is very destructive so yeah. i need to leave behind good narrative for yeah. people to be able to pick up these yeah. other tools and in those good good narratives need to be the cognitive tools that people are going to be able to use to be able to return to the land. Yeah. So that's all I'm doing. And yeah. I don't know if it'll be uh, of any use at all, or if anybody else is doing it or will start doing it, but that's what I'm doing. But do you know, and you, I'm sure you would agree with me that my sort of conclusion from that, uh, in terms of the cognitive sphere, is the experiential has to be preeminent. And the and the visual has to be preeminent. Is that mm. the only place where we will have adequate humility, <clears throat> because we're bombarded with the contradictions and the complexities of the living world, the ever-changing realities, the inextricable interconnections. And it's when we sit here and talk about, you know, it is like this in China, you know, places we've never experienced, and we're all imprisoned in this world where we're getting mm. you know mediated knowledge delivered through expensive well-funded channels including mm. the internet and we just you know yeah so again it comes back to to local and where you can see you know that mm. you know it's the the prejudice that we carry against you know muslims or chinese or mm. aboriginal people or whites mm. or, you know, it's all born of living, you know, with a label 
And this, this is and something we have to be aware of and be very careful about in returning to the local. Yeah. Is that that doesn't become parochialism. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's something that's happened in, uh, in, in sections of our Aboriginal community yeah. uh, under the native title process yeah. uh, of people uh, reasserting their tribal boundaries and things like this is you've found in some cases with some people not a return to the land yeah. um, but a, a, a kind of a parochialism emerging yeah. which yeah. In, in which people define their identities in yeah. terms of whom they exclude not yeah. whom they include. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, this has ended up with a lot of us fighting amongst ourselves. Yeah. Actually, um, un under I mean, so we have uh, indigenous elites emerging now, uh, middle classes and upper middle classes, yeah. uh, who are very much gatekeeping and policing um, yeah. these kinds yeah. of things. And, uh, and because this, 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 this precludes a future where non-Aboriginal people would be able to be brought back into the landscape and under the law of the land yeah. too. Yeah. Um, it's, it's even, it's even precluding a right of return for our own people yes. who've been displaced and disconnected. Yeah. Because it's based on operating within the dominant system. Yeah. And that's also where we have to be really clear mm. about. So for us, the local is, that is absolutely mm. the land. It's about self-reliance mm. and it's, and as you, as you do that, Yep. What, I, what I've seen is that the individual, as part of that deeper community with people mm. and with the animals and plants, there's mm. an expanded sense of self. There's a, mm. there's a you know, the, the hunger for power and fame yep. control diminishes because you got what you wanted. You got yep. what you wanted. And look, that's, um, and, and these things that we're critiquing now, these, uh, these need to be producing critique yeah. is useless unless it's producing narrative. Yeah. And those yeah. narratives, those narratives need to be cautionary tales. Yeah. Yeah. You know, most, you know, any, uh, uh, story world of a connected culture in the landscape contains a lot of cautionary tales, yes. a lot of mythology, you might yes. call it, but you know, yeah. narrative that, uh, warns of what happens. Yeah. And, you know, we have universal ones like the tower of Babel. Yeah. You know, Equivalent story to that exists in every culture on the planet. And, you know, so real culture, you know, produces narratives that are, yeah. you know, both um, stories of how to be, but also stories of how not to be. Not to be. And I these are the cognitive tools that we need to leave behind. Yeah. And this needs to be the focus of any critique. If your critique involves only deconstructing. Yeah. Things, yeah. but not constructing anything yes, else, exactly. then your critique exactly. is useless. Yes. And you yeah, might that, as well just go and join, uh, yeah. not even Monsanto anymore. Who is it now? Bayer. <laughs> you yeah. Go and join Bayer and like work for them. Yeah. <laughs> if you're just doing critique, yeah. because, you know, you might as well just, you know, declare your actual affiliation, uh, which is with the destroyers. Well, you know, I love you, Tyson. And, and again, for me, resistance and renewal, you know. So yeah, that, you know? yeah. Uh, I just, I, I love, I love your, your thought. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm so honored to be involved in your network of relations and well, uh, the, the knowledge that's flowing through it. Like I said, your pedigree and your, uh, your lineage of knowledge here is, 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 is very impressive and, um, you know, a very vigorous and rigorous and, uh, 
has integrity. And yeah, I'm honored to have met you and I'm really glad you called me today. Thank you. You know, I just want to say my pedigree is that incredible privilege and rare opportunity to live in a land-based indigenous culture and to learn to speak the language fluently very quickly, thank goodness, to actually sort of see the world through those lenses. That is my pedigree, you know, it's my Bible that I go back to to try to to get sense of everything. I'm so happy to have met you. Mm. We must stay in touch and we must have conversations. Thank you. Yeah, respect. See ya.